The word of God that comes to us today is from the master in Jesus' parable who says, Why do you stand here idle all the day? And who says, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, Jesus tells us about ourselves. He gives us a reality check. He says he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He is talking about us. And there are characters in this parable that we will read. In fact, I encourage you to open your bulletin to the, the parable in Matthew or to grab a pew Bible uh, and turn to page 774. You might need this later for a couple things I'll show you. So have that handy. Jesus tells us today about work. You guys like work? Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. It pays the bills, all right? Well, he talks to us about not just our day-to-day work, but our life's work. He tells us about underworking. I know you look around and you think of other people who are underworking, and then you think about, and he tells us also about overworking, and you look at yourself, that's me, I'm overworking, and then he shows us today the right work, the good work. So that's kind of what we'll look at today, those three things, underworking, overworking, and the right working. Jesus tells this parable, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like this, a master of a house, a corporation leader, a owner of a farm, went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. We can't imagine this. Well, we might. You know, you drive somewhere and you pick up a bunch of workers and you take them to your farm, right? Migrant workers. You could imagine this. You've seen these. Maybe you were a migrant worker. My kids were somewhat like migrant workers back in the day. They didn't get paid very good, uh, but they picked a lot of tomatoes, right? Different kind of vineyard. All right, so he goes out and he finds them, and he agrees on the price. A denarius a day, the going rate. They're like, thank you. We've got this good job for the day. And then he goes out later in the third hour and the sixth hour. He says, hey, you guys, what are you doing? Come to work. Work uh, for me, and I'll give you whatever is your, your due. And the day goes on, and the heat of the day passes by, and it's been a hard day. It's been a hard day. And then the 11th hour, as the sun is going down, and it's the easy work, he goes and finds a few more and says to them on the 11th hour, why do you stand here idle all the day? Right? That's what he says to them. And they're honest. They say, because no one has hired us. And if Jesus were telling this parable today, he might say, why do you stand here idle all the day? They might say, because we were on our phones all day. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know I had to get a job today, right? Um, Do any of you feel idle? Probably not, right? No, not you. Not me. We're not idle. In fact, if you ask you know, someone around you, how you doing? You'll say, good, or fine. You might totally be lying, but then you'll be honest and say, well, I'm, I'm kind of busy, right? When you ask someone that, do they say, is that one of the first things they say, how you doing? I'm busy, right? Yeah? So if you're busy, does that mean you're not idle? I'll let you think about that. If you're busy, does that mean you're not idle? Does it automatically mean you're not idle? I'll leave that hanging, but I'll just, I'll just 
give you this, that, you know, people who study this, they look at America, Americans, and they say, wow, these Americans have more free time than any Americans in the history of America. They have less time that they have to do work and more free time. And yet, they will tell you that they feel busier than ever. So what's going on? Maybe it's just that we fill up our schedule with so many things, right? You have to plan out. We try to do events here. If we don't plan out seven weeks, you're like, I can't do that, right? We're busy. Does that mean that we're not idle? I don't know. This is for us to reflect on. There is a a study by the Pew Society. Uh, It's a research group, and they've they've studied uh, hundreds and hundreds of adults thinking about their kids, and they asked them, you know, what are you concerned with your kids having a phone? A kid in high school or whatever, what are you concerned with them on their phones? And you can imagine, if you have kids, what you would be concerned with. And this is what Americans say. They're worried about them being exposed to explicit content or wasting too much time. Those are the top two things. Being distracted from completing homework. Nah. Nah. Never. Right? Well, these, there was another study by uh, a sociologist named Smith who wrote a book on his studies. He interviewed thousands of, of youth, young people, and um, wrote about their religion. And I won't tell you all about it. It's, it's an interesting study. But basically, he, they found out this, that these kids, these youth, are doing a really good job of being just like their parents. right? So when these studies, when, when adults are worried about the explicit content on the phones or wasting time on websites or being distracted from the true work of the day, that's not something that's only about youth. They're worried about that for their kids because it's what they're doing. Does that make sense? So in some ways, we have more free time, but we're busier than ever. And in some ways, I think we're all idle. I'll, I'll be the first. I think we all are idle. We find things, even if it's not on your phone, we find things in life to satisfy us that may not be the true work of God. And so, Jesus comes to us and says, why do you stand here idle all day? You might also hear Jesus say, why do you live your whole life without a true purpose, without a true meaning? Right? And we think that of others. Come on, why don't you get it together already? I'm going to show you two pictures in this Gospel of Matthew where someone gets it together and where someone doesn't yet get it together. So you have a Bible? Grab your Bible. Uh, The passage we're looking at today is on page 774. You can just listen as well. But we're going to back up a little bit to a passage in Matthew chapter 9. This is on page 763. And if you, all you do is look at the headings here, the, Matthew chapter 9, the first heading says this. I know this is really small. You're like, man, I need extra glasses for this. <laughs> I do. But the first heading says, Jesus heals a paralytic. He comes to a man who's paralyzed and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, we didn't bring him to get his sins forgiven. We brought him to you, Jesus, to get healed. And Jesus uses his need to be healed to walk as a symbol of his true need, which is to be forgiven. And then I think that there's this guy named Matthew who watches this. He sees what Jesus does. He says, your sins are forgiven. I'm proving it. Get up and walk. Go home. Right? And the guy does. 
And then the very next thing says, Jesus calls Matthew. Uh, This last week was uh, kind of a day to remember this guy, Matthew, who wrote this gospel. This is what happened to Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now this is not just like, hey, come, come to my picnic for the day. This is give up your life as an IRS agent. Your life of skimming off the top. Your life of comfort and ease. Your life of no meaning. Come and follow me and be my disciple. Learn from me. How do you think that was for Matthew? Easy? Just got up. No big deal. Jesus is a rabbi. Of course I'm going to follow him. This is such an honor. Right? No. It's impossible. Except Jesus spoke it. So when Jesus says things... He says things that can happen. He puts them, he makes them happen by his words, right? Go all the way back. Let there be light, and there was light. Jesus can do what he says. So he says, follow me, and it's impossible. And then Matthew gets up and does the impossible. Thanks be to God. And then Matthew and Joy throws a party with all his fellow tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners and has a good old time with Jesus, and not everybody likes it. Well, that's one good story of Jesus saying, why do you stand around idle all day? That's what he said to Matthew, more or less. And Matthew got up and said, all right, I'm done with being idle. I'm done with a life of no median. So take a look back on, in your Bible, page 774. This is Matthew 20. It's where we are today. Laborers in the vineyard. Look at the previous section. What's it say? All right, the rich young man. You know the story of the rich young man. You might know it. There's a man who comes up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? He thinks he's got it all together and he wants a rubber stamp from Jesus. And Jesus tells him the, command, the commandments. What do you have to do? Well, don't murder, don't steal, uh, don't commit adultery, don't defraud, all, all those things. He tells them, the commandments 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, if you look at it. He does not mention the last commandments, do not covet. That's what the last two are about. And this man says, well, I've kept all these. I've done it all. I'm a pretty good guy. I've measured up. Yeah, he's patting himself on the back. I got it together, Jesus. Now can you just give me a rubber stamp that I'm all good to go to heaven? And what does Jesus say? No, you have an idol. You have something you love and worship. It is yourself, and it is your things. And so Jesus says to him, get rid of it all, sell it all, and then come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And Matthew tells us that he went away full of sorrow. Why? Because he had great possessions. He had great possessions. So this is a man who does not yet who has not yet heard Jesus say, why are you idle all day? He's like, I'm good. I want to be idle. Thank you very much, Jesus. Right? He hears the call of Jesus and ignores him so far. Is this the end for this man? We don't know. This is his third hour, or maybe his sixth hour, maybe his ninth hour, but pray to God it's not his final hour. Right? There is still an eleventh hour. So that the very next thing is the story that Jesus tells that we hear today. So he finds these laborers and says, don't be idle. 
And this is what God says to all of us when he invites us in. Let me just share a couple things, things that might have been in Matthew's mind or in our own hearts when God calls us, when he says, don't be idle. This is what he says. Let me just share a couple. These invitations. Isaiah 55 says, come. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. Whoever has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and with price. Without price. We are invited free. That's what it says. The end of the Bible, Revelation 19 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 1 Peter 2 says, You are called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Romans 8 says, All things God will use for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You're hearing this word? Called, over, invited, over and over. 2 Timothy 1 says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Hebrews 3 says, you share in a heavenly calling. 1 Corinthians 1 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 5 says, you're called to freedom. 1 Corinthians 7 and other places says, God has called you to peace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us how. To this he called you through our gospel. Galatians 1 tells us that I can't believe you are deserting your call because you're called by grace. So that word call is something that we all have on us. In fact, we use this as our, like our whole reason for existence. Why are we here? We are called by Christ to be the church, to be his people. We are called. That's each of us. This is Matthew. And it's the rich young ruler, the rich young man, who currently is saying, I'm busy whether that's on his phone or at his bank, whatever it is, he's busy, right? But we hope and pray that for that man and for the whole world, that that's not the end yet. And so, Jesus tells us the story of the, the landowner who goes out and invites it and finds people at every hour, even the 11th hour. Uh, guys like Bob Marley, who most of his life was a Rastafarian, at the 11th hour, he says, you know what, actually, Jesus is Lord. You know, stories like that, like my uncle Oren, who most of his life wasn't so sure, who was a little bit angry at God because of his hard life. At the 11th hour, he says, I know I'm saved by the grace of God in Jesus, and I am actually looking forward to this next chapter of life. And we all probably know people who have come to faith at the 11th hour, right? Who most of their life, they were underworked. They didn't feel called, but at the end, they received the call. That's good news. Well, there are other characters in here, and maybe this is you. So if you need to come back, if you're mentally zoning out, come on back, because maybe this next section is about you. You've been in the church a long time. You've been faithfully working in fact, you have been laboring through the heat of the day. Maybe you were at this church when there were 15 people here, and you were doing half the work, or some other place. You've been laboring a long time, and it's been hard. Well, Jesus has a word for you, and, it, and it's in the context of this previous story, the rich young ruler. In that story, the disciples, the apostles, they're in. But this man is not in yet. How should we feel about those who aren't in? 
Well, Jesus tells us how not to feel. Take a look in your text. It says this. Um, Jesus pays them. And on, Jesus tells them that the ones who came in at the 11th hour, they got the same thing the ones who worked through the day got. And on receiving it, these ones who worked all day, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last ones worked only one hour. And you've made them equal to us? We went through the whole day, the scorching heat. And he says to them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. For those who have been in the church a long time, who have been trying to faithfully serve, it's good to remember that it's actually an honor. It's an honor to be the first ones in. You might be working your tail off through the heat of the day, but guess what? Other people are out there in the heat of the day and have no, can we say, employment, no purpose, no connection to God. They still have the heat of the day to get through, right? So yes, you will get through the heat of the day, but God has honored you by bringing you in, we could say, first. The main point is this. He says, friend, take what belongs to you. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Sometimes we're tempted to think too little of God. Maybe he doesn't love me enough. He doesn't really care about all my needs. He doesn't notice all I do. He does. But he wants you to know that you're in by grace. Take a look here. It says, I choose to give to the last as I give to you. Can't I do what I want with what I choose, with what belongs to me? So let me just finish like this. What does God choose to do with what is his? I know that's like a you know, random question. But what does God choose to do? Take a look at, back at your text in your Bible. What's the very next section, the next story? What's it say? Did you... Jesus foretells his death for the third time. So it, right after saying, hey, I can do what I want with what is mine, and then he says what he wants to do. He wants to give his son himself for the life of the world. I get, the, the ordering of these stories is important. What does he choose to do? How does he choose to be generous? His life, himself. He gives you himself. And so, and then flip down to the very bottom, or maybe towards the bottom. Look at verse 28. And he defines what this means to give his life. He says this. I'll look at verse 26. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, even as I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what God chooses to do with what is his, to give you his own dear son for you. He, we could say that he is the denarius, the payment, the gift that all of us get. And how do we get it? Not by working our tails off for him, but by believing that he has sent for you. We'll end with this. This is such good news. Matthew also tells us this in Matthew 11. Jesus says to those who come to him, he says this, come to me, another invite, another, why are you standing around idle all day long? He says, come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God has done the hard work. He sent his son to die for you, and then raises him from the dead so that you might be yoked with him to receive all his many blessings. So sometimes you might feel overworked. Sometimes you might feel underworked. But thanks be to God that God has done the hard work in Jesus. And in him, we find rest from our our weary labor. In the name of Jesus, amen.